me, allowed me to begin organize educational activities, subsections, emergency room, chest pain center, echo, EKG, stress testing, cath lab. Surgeons were brought into cardiology meetings. It became a unified group. Dinner meetings, 70 cardiologists in the section. State Secretary of the Florida Medical Professional Group, $50,000 a year budget, kleptomaniac, a step teller, 15 years since I had touched a golf club. I was competitive in high school. When we, our team won the state championship in Florida. I was fourth man, but I hadn't touched a club in 15 years. Guy organized an AA golf tournament in Miami. I thought, I'll try that again. Won the tournament. Went back to golf school, picked up my sport, started exercising, lost weight, made amends to my parents, my children, my brother. But there was a problem. I had a daughter, my first marriage. I left, deserted her. She, she was four. And I wrote her, wrote her a lot. Mother sends me a letter, stop writing my daughter. Took it to Phil. He says, stop writing the daughter. I said, do you know who you're talking to? He said, yeah. Stop writing her. Moaning and groaning, whining. The daughter would not respond. I sent money. I thought for sure the green stuff would be a lubricant. <laughs> Didn't work. Went to see her. Wouldn't see me. Jeez. The women in the program said, keep coming back. You don't understand. Yeah, we understand. Just keep coming back. Nine years later, she called. I'm coming to Miami. I'm getting married. I want you to meet my fiance. We'd love to come to lunch. We've had a relationship ever since. Pretty good relationship. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. So we do the beginning of this eighth and ninth step process when we do the fourth step, and we have the list. But to me, it's of no value until I sit down with my sponsor and organize the list into a functioning amends list that I can live with, that I understand, and that I can go to these people. So I went to the chief of the hospital, and I told him what I had become and why, that I was powerless and so forth, that I hoped to do better. He accepted it. And by the way, he said, oh, by the way, I'm a food addict. Yours was booze and drugs and mine's food. I wrote to the guy who was the division head at the Cleveland Clinic. I left. I just left. Dear Wayne, your letter came today, January 3rd, 1985. And I looked, I hastened to answer what courage it required and how I admire you. Being an old Calvinist, I believe in the depravity of man and the grace of God. 
Fortunately, when we admit our shortcomings and ask forgiveness, the slate is wiped clean. You are a strong man. I have confidence in your ability to control your destiny with the help of God and your wife. We shall pray with and for you in the sure and certain knowledge that you have triumphed. You are right in believing that I was disappointed when you left. Regard you as my most brilliant colleague as well as a close friend, and my disappointment lay primarily in my belief you were burying your talents. Samuel Johnson lived in the fear of judgment, being called to account for the manner in which he had used his talents and believing that he had wasted them in idleness. I regretted what I believed to be your loss, but also a real loss to medicine. Now you are realizing that others have a right to share, and so forth. Months went by. There was a guy who, there was a man who started invasive cardiology. His name was Mason. Dear Dr. Siegel, perhaps by now you have, this was October, the following year. Perhaps by now you have become aware of Mason's death on August 29th. Coincidence, huh? The date of the postmark on your letter to him. When I started to read your letter, I realized what it was. I have attended Al-Anon meetings for several years, and I want to assure you that your letter has been destroyed as you requested. I am Mason's original wife, and we were remarried a couple of years ago, so I was able to care for him during his illness. His wish was fulfilled to die at home, without pain and at peace. Our four children were here, and he felt love. God bless you, love. What about the money? 18 stores, partners. I went to Phil. He said, get a money order. I said, what's a money order? He says, it's a, it's a money order. You go to the post office. I said, oh. Dear owner manager, the enclosed money order is an anonymous payment plus interest. That killed me. He said, take out your credit card. This was in the, tw- in the mid-80s. And look at the interest rate. 20% fell. Jeez. He said, yep. It's almost two years, isn't it? It's about 40%. Plus interest for merchandise I shoplifted prior to the day I entered treatment for drug addiction, alcoholism, May of 84. Since that time, I've been an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. The recovery program of AA and NA includes the restitution or making of amends to clear away the mistakes of the past. The merchandise I took illegally was stolen as a result of the insanity of my altering chemicals. I am sorry. Grateful Recovering Addict, Anonymous, do no harm. To sell for family. If we, if we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning. We would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. Any lengths. I had eight partners. Franz was the old one. He had started the group. I had to go to him. High society, well-to-do, wife in the newspapers, lovely family, but 
up there. Made an appointment, went to his home, sat in his beautifully wood-paneled den. And I began to talk about my powerlessness, blah, blah, blah. In walks the wife and sits down. Jeez. She says to me as I go along, we know what you're doing. My wife, my brother has been in AA for 30 years. So as I jumped off the cliff and once a month, Phil would let me go to one of the partners, I saved the tough one. And when I was my roommate in medical school, for God's sake, and I went to these guys and each one of them was encouraging and we understand and wonderful. But I saved the one guy, the SOB, who was the money manager, for last. Because I really did not want to go to, his name was Bill. And I went to him. And I had not fully discussed everything with Phil. By this time, Phil was dead. And I was working with Buck and Lynn, and I, I hadn't revealed, I don't know, maybe it was just denial. I didn't even think of it. But I'm sitting there with Bill... And my lips started moving. Do you ever have your lips move and they're not attached to the brain? Nah, you guys would not this crowd. <laughs> the lips are moving and it says, I owe you guys $16,500 for buying me out and getting rid of me. And I want to go like this. But I didn't. I just kept talking. And he says, you don't know us anything. It was a contract. It's black and white. That's the end of it. I said... I didn't say it, but my lips said, I owe you $16,500. That contract is not worth the paper it's written on. He said, let me tell you something. My wife went into treatment for drug addiction last week at South Miami Hospital. I know what you're doing. All we want you to do is stay sober. Do a good job. Maybe we'll refer a few patients back. and Maybe we'll have a relationship. Just stay sober. Think you can buy that? How do you get that? Think I could do that? Hmm, no way. Can't happen. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who is still smarting from our injustice to him and announce we've gone religious. Remember? No shit click. That's what I did. (laughs) He is going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. It's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial. It's like jumping. His faults are not to be discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. In nine cases out of ten, not my daughter, everybody else, we are the, the, the unexpected happens. It's a wonderful result. Sometimes the man recalling upon admits his own fault. So feuds of years... Standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing, fills the ego. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter. It should not matter if someone throws us out of his office. 
We've made our demonstration. We did our part. It's water over the dam. It's not just for them. It's not for their reaction at all. That was a shock. It's to amend the emptiness, the negativity, the moaning, the groaning. Wonderful Wayne. The inferiority complex with the egomania. The guy that did all the harm. I'm the guy that needed fixing. These people are all fine. And if I don't go to them, if I don't do this thing, I'm going to drink again. I'm going to drug again. That's how bad it is. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense. I did. Which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short of our accounts and unable to make good. I was in deep debt. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, the fifth step. But we are sure we would be in prison or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced, remarried, haven't kept up the alimony. A lot of different troubles. Reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any length to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction. Thank God for Phil, Buck, Lynn, and now John. No matter what the personal consequences may be, we may lose our position. We have to be willing. We must not shrink at anything. Usually, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be hasty. The foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. Passing all understanding is the patience of mothers and wives. Had this not been so, many of us would have been dead, homeless. Long period of reconstruction ahead, we sit with the family. There may be some some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them. If we can honestly say to ourselves, we would write them if we could. My father was dead. I dragged that name through the garbage can. So I wrote him a letter. Wrote him a letter. He was dead. Wrote him a letter. Mended my own feeling of negativity. If we are painstaking, this is painstaking, about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed. Before we're halfway through, we're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. The feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us which we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? No way. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. 
The most important thing I can say to you today is my name is Wayne, and I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. I was told to make an announcement the CME papers have to be picked up by 5 o'clock today. And if there's some there, anyway, you need to get them today because there'll be no, no desk there tomorrow. And so uh, I want to share one more little thing. Now, we want some other people that want to share on this thing, but I skipped this little deal of this defects of character and shortcomings. Use two different words there. And somebody asked Bill Wilson why he used those words. He says, well... He didn't want to repeat the same thing, and they're, both of them are sins anyway. They're sins of omission and sins of commission. The shortcomings are not doing the things we should do, and the defects of character are doing the things we shouldn't do. So he said that those uh, Oxford guys didn't like the sin things, so we left them so we didn't have to keep up with that sin stuff, so we want the defects of character and shortcomings. So if that helps anybody to confuse you. Does anybody want us to come up? Hello, friends. My name's Graham. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, John and Wayne. I, I, I've never heard that, that this step session today has been fantastic, and I'm getting an awful lot out of it. I need to tell you that uh, I did a fourth and fifth about a year and a half uh, into recovery, and then I continued to go to AA. I was going uh, three, four, five times a week. I had a sponsor, a home group, all the things we're supposed to do, and after four and a half years, I was bored with AA. The jokes were the same. I didn't like the smoke. Why do they always have to read yesterday, today, and tomorrow? Why could they not just read the steps instead of reading the whole bit of how it works? I was back sitting in the back row, and I was judging, and I was criticizing. And I came to IDAA in Grand Rapids, and I had arranged to play a game of golf with a friend of mine. And I couldn't find him in the morning of the Saturday morning of the the, the meeting. And I thought he might be in the meeting. Um, So I came in just to see if I could find him so we could go off and play golf. And Burns Brady was talking, and he said, you know, after about seven years in AA, I was bored with AA. And I thought, did he just say that? He said, the smoke was bothering me, and the jokes were all the same. And he said, I couldn't stand the readings. They were always boring. And he said, I was sitting in the back row, and I was judging people and criticizing them. I thought, my God, he's talking about me. And Burns said, I discovered that he, he discovered that he was working a four-step program, one, two, three, and 12. And I thought, my God, that's me. You see, I'd stopped at the fifth step tells us in the big book that we go home and rest for an hour. I'd rested for four and a half bloody years. <laughs> and, and, and nothing had changed. I hadn't done six, seven, eight, or nine. And so I went back home to my home community to punch in my sponsor and said, I need to work through these steps properly. And I worked through these steps and made the amends where I had to. And like Wayne described, I put the most difficult ones off to the end. One of the amends I made, the last one I made, was to the doctor that offered me my first job in Canada. You can tell by the accent that I uh, am not from this part of the world. And uh, Peter had brought me in as an assistant to his family practice, and after nine months liked what I did and made me a full partner, full and equal partner. 
Four years later, he reported me to my licensing authority in Ontario, fired me, I sued him, and you can see it was a mess. And after all these years of being sober, I finally went to Peter, who by this time had retired, and I said, back in 1975, when we were having difficulties, you were right and I was sick. And he's an earth person, he doesn't understand our disease. And I said, I'm staying sober a day at a time in a program called Alcoholics Anonymous, and I need to apologize to you for the fracturing of the trust and the love that you and your family showed to my family and me. And this old Scotsman just took me and hugged me, and he wasn't that kind of man, and I floated out of his driveway. Some six months later, my father-in-law was down at Christmas at our place and told me, did you know that Dr. Peter so-and-so is in hospital in Toronto dying of cancer? And because of that amend that you'd told me to make, and I had finally made, I was able to go to his bedside on Christmas Day and hold his hand and tell him I loved him and thanked him again for what he had done for me and my family. I was able to go to the cafeteria in that hospital where I'd been the chief resident of medicine some years before with his wife and have a coffee and feel equal, not less than, not more than, because of that step nine that you'd told me to do and I had finally done it. When my oldest son was 14, he had me across the kitchen table with a knife at my throat going to kill me for the things that I was doing to his mother. When that son was 29, he asked me when he got his PhD if I would hood him at his convocation. I'm on faculty in the, in, the, uh, in the university where he got his PhD. And the difference was because of the amends and the changes that he'd seen in AA. And I walked up with this young man holding his PhD hood and put it over his neck as the Chancellor of the University told him in Latin that he'd got his PhD. And in front of a thousand people in that convocation hall, this young man, who's a big kid, six foot two and two fifty, put his arms round this little bald father of his and said, thanks for everything, Dad. And the only difference is because I get sober and what the program that you told me to do. And I can't tell you how grateful I am, and I'm very grateful for John and Wayne for reminding me of those things. This is a wonderful program, and I'm delighted to be here. Thank you very much. My name's Howard. I'm an alcoholic and a compulsive overeater. Um, We've all heard remarkable stories uh, today, and um, for a long time I was so good at staying out of trouble that what I thought was luck uh, just put me deeper and deeper into disease. Um, no one caught me. No one sent me to treatment. Never got in trouble with the licensing board. Lost a job, but didn't lose a career. Actually. One group told me I was not sick enough to go to treatment. It took me five years to realize they were wrong. And when I started to work the steps, I, I probably didn't have enough pain. My first sponsor was uh, a really uh, good sponsor. And we worked the first three together and, and started four. And I, I wrote six novellas none of which having any basis in truth. But they were wonderful rationalizations of all my behavior and why I was right. And um, not only why I was right, but why I was such a good person to do all those things I did because I had such good motives. After three attempts, I finally got the fourth step done and 
was positive that when I went to his uh, office to, to give away my fifth step that he would throw me out halfway through. And instead, he said, yeah, me too. Six and seven, I did just the way the book said. But I probably should have taken more than an hour. When I first read the sixth step, I said, this is bull. Who would go through the gut-wrenching experience of four and five and not be ready to give up these defects? Of course I'll be ready when I'm finished four and five. But it turned out I really like my defects. I like being compulsive. I like being aggressive. I like being able to get my way. It binds fear for me. And so it took more pain before I could get through six and seven. And um, when I finally did eight and nine, and this is what I really came up here to say, the last part of nine except when to do so would harm them or others, was probably the most important thing that happened to me in recovery. I got into recovery to save my life, and I thought that was a noble cause. I thought I was enough reason to get into recovery. I thought you should get into recovery to save my life, too. I thought everything was about saving my life. And... There were amends my sponsor would not let me make. There were people my sponsor would not let me talk to. Some he told me I wasn't ready. And some he said, you will never talk to that person. And I I had to, I went home one day thinking, I'm not going to make these amends. And I'm not going to be okay. And I'm going to relapse and I'm going to die. And I can't listen to my sponsor. I have to do what I know will save my life. It it took hurting somebody else um, badly before I realized that the reason I was in recovery, the reason God put me in recovery, was not to save my life, but to realize that I'm not the reason. That God is the reason. And that I can't go around hurting other people. That's not why I was here. Even if it means saving my life, I can't hurt other people. I don't really think I really got sober until that ninth step. And that's what I wanted to tell you. Thanks. This is my favorite part. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Sheila. I'm a, an alcoholic and an addict and short. Um, <laughs> I just turned to John, and who's known me for long enough, and asked him how much more time <laughs> we have and whether he wanted me to use it all or not. But that's a joke, so don't get panicky. <laughs> It's great to be here and to see all my new friends and old friends and uh, 
I have to just share a few little things with you that come to mind. First of all, I, I'm really delighted to be here with all of you brilliant people because listening to you makes me sure that I'm not one of them. Um, everybody here is so much smarter than I am. At least you are so much smarter than I am when you start AA. I mean, I started AA a couple of times. I, I went to my first AA meeting in a place called Willingway in Georgia, and I wasn't. In 1979. And I got there by way of a couple of intensive care units. One in Indiana, uh, which we won't even go into. It was Megadeth, I understand, is a group that started somewhere in the 80s, and I anticipated it by some time. Um, and then again, one in a place called Bullock Memorial Hospital. I don't think it was named after the movie star either. And I ended up not being very well cognitively, as we would say now in the year 2000. And you guys don't have, it don't seem to have had any cognitive problems when you went into AA for your first meetings and you listened to the steps and you understood them. I'm amazed. It was just amazing. You understood that you were powerless, and that meant that when you took a drink, you stopped being powerful over alcohol. I thought being powerless over alcohol and drugs meant that you didn't know where your next drink could be found. I always knew I was powerful over alcohol and drugs because I knew where I could find and get the next one to or. 200 for that matter and I didn't understand any of the steps and I didn't even understand anything about being powerless or my life being unmanageable until about three years after I got clean and sober and I didn't understand what it meant to be an addict or an alcoholic and I didn't understand what it meant for me to be uh, having a life that was unmanageable. But I did know that if I didn't stop using drugs and alcohol, the Wisconsin Board of Medical Examiners were going to come and take away my license to practice. And that was enough for me at that point. Okay, and uh, that... And the people who were taking care of me cared about me. And that when I came to IDAA for the first time in San Diego in 1986, that there was nothing phony about this group. And when I went to San Diego, or San Antonio, for the first time, the following spring, and the Florida Medical Professional Group the following fall, there was nothing but love and warmth and people who listened to me and gave me tips how to, on how to get along uh, in AA and learn and taught me how to work the steps better than anything I had learned anyplace else in those years. 
that I had been trying to, to understand the program. And the most amazing thing was that Sadaxic made me learn how to keep it simple. Okay. And they were the ones who told me it's about defects of character and the other terminology. Keep it as simple as possible. Don't get all worried about the differences between the terms. And if you're having a problem understanding, it's probably because your brain is healing. And then there were people who said, if you don't remember things, don't worry about it because your brain will start to remember things a little bit later. And if you don't believe in God right now, don't worry about it, because after a time you might believe that maybe you didn't make yourself, and that's all you have to worry about. Because if you did not make yourself, very likely there's a power greater than you are, and that's enough. And if there's a power greater than you are, if the power that you feel in this room makes you feel stronger. If listening to John and Wayne can make the hair on the back of my neck stand up and my arms stand up, and especially how many times have I listened to John? I would guess I must have listened to John talk 15 times, and I love listening to him still. Then there is a power in this room when I hear him speak and tell his story that is greater than me sitting alone reading the book. So that makes it all very simple and clear to me. And believe it or not, for someone who went to a good undergraduate school and a good medical school and has practiced medicine successfully, who's now even an addictionologist, if that's a matter of intellect or perhaps dementia, I'm not sure. And don't ask my patients if you run across them. Um, the reality is that it isn't lack of intellect that gets us here, but it's lack of connection that gets us here and lack of ability to integrate that gets us here. It isn't only that we're up in our head, but that our world consistently ends at our skin surface. And when we come to these rooms, our world ends at everybody's skin surface. And I know we can all feel that when we hold hands and say the serenity prayer. So when we do steps six, seven, and eight and nine, then we become citizens of the world again, not those creatures that are isolated in our own brains that really are in pain once we're beyond our skin surface. We don't have to walk around in shame and agony in a painful existence, uh, concerned about the painful looks that other people give us confirming what worthless people we are for using these substances that stop the pain that were started when we first encountered those substances that excited the craziness that goes on in our neurochemical brains. So for all of you who are 
In fact, as crazy as I am, I'm really glad to be here because that makes all of me feel much better. So thank you all for being here for me. My name is Tulio. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> um, in 1980, I'm so glad to see Jackie. I haven't seen her for a long time. You know, uh, I think John and Wayne, uh, they are my friends for, have been my friend for many years. Uh, in 1980, uh, I took a trip to Cuba. Uh, this is not a political podium, but I have to tell you a political thing. Uh, when I graduated from uh, medicine in 1953, and you know, I tell you I'm 50 years, they gave me a diploma, the New Jersey Medical Society gave me a golden diploma for being a doctor for 50 years. That, that was, uh, made me very important. And uh, so anyway, in 1980, uh, I had to go, I was two years over, and I had to go to Cuba. Uh, and in spite that Fidel has said that those who left when I left were traitors of the revolution and could feel, you know, have some consequences, you know. But in 1980, I was two years over. And uh, the only thing that was in my mind was to make amends to my father because I have blamed him for many of the things that happened to me. He had read in New York City, the New York Times, in those days he got to Cuba and he read I was, his son was apprehended and was incarcerated in New York for doing bad things. <laughs> and. Uh, so uh, I need to go to Cuba. So I went to Miami, in International Airport Miami, and there was a special trip. And uh, at that time, there was uh, the Miami the station in Miami was, was uh, making propaganda, no propaganda, but it was explaining what's happening, you know, why we are in that kind of trouble. And, uh, and Fidel didn't like that. <laughs> so uh, the night before the flight, uh, there was a comment in Cuba that, uh, that he was mad about this station, the free, free voice of Miami. So, so I said, my God, should I go or should I stay? And then I flip a coin. I have a coin in my pocket and I flip a coin. And I said, if an eagle, I don't go. If a face, I go. So is a face, I think, said, and with God we trust? So I trust God. So I went. And I uh, stayed a week for in Cuba with my father and make amend to him. And, uh, and uh, you know, I told him everything was happened to me. I explained a little bit about who I am and why I drink and drug so much. And you know something? At the end of my conversation, he gave me a hug and said, I love you. And uh, after that, 
I came back to stay, to the stay in a week, and I think that's what kept me sober and peace and calm. Thank you very much.